The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. All right, everybody, welcome to The Working Artist Project. Tonight is a special night. We have uh, one of one of Greg's mentors. She basically raised Greg, you know, that's really the truth, though. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've i've known i've known miss jackie harris since now since i was 12 years old and there's like three or four people she's one of the first people that i've met when i'm so it's 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 a pleasure and honor to to still have miss jackie in my life uh, 20 some odd years later <laughs> uh, it's it's my pleasure as well and it uh gives me great pride and uh love and appreciation to see you and what you're doing now. Oh, thank you so much, Miss Jackie. Thank you. So for, for those of you just joining us, uh, our special guest this evening is uh, the, the wonderful Miss Jackie Harris. And uh, for those of you uh, who don't know, just, just real briefly, Miss Jackie is, uh, is, a, is a concert promoter, a festival producer. Uh, she uh, is the executive director of the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation. And uh, she does so much amazing work for the jazz community, uh, for the New Orleans community, and also for uh, the New York City greater area. And uh, I, I originally met Miss Jackie when I was 12 auditioning for the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp in 19, oh no, in 2000, I think was my first year. I thought you were about to say 1953. Like, <laughs> how old are you? Oh, I mean, look, I might be younger than Greg. I'm I not think you are. <laughs> You could be. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because we we have a mutual connection too through Alvin Fielder. And I think that I heard about you first through Al. And then right away when I met Greg, Greg told me all about you. So, you know, and over the years, getting to know you's been great. But uh, tonight, I think we're going to talk a lot about the business of nonprofits and how you you guys are like one of the most successful nonprofits in the world. And so we we kind of want to pick your brain and see how we can get as good as y'all. Well, I don't know about as successful in the world, but um, the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation was is one of a few, or could be the only foundation created by a jazz artist in 1969. Pop and uh, his wife, Pops and his wife, Lucille, decided that they wanted to uh, create a foundation. He uh, called uh, Phoebe Jacobs and also Oscar Cohen. Both of them are no longer with us, but he called them to say he wanted to create a foundation and he wanted it dedicated to supporting music education. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, a yes. lot of people don't know. I mean, uh, there was no artist. I know no jazz artist, but no artist anywhere who had created his own foundation. In most of those cases, if there were foundations uh, for artists, they uh, took place after the artist had died and the family or the executives of the estate, you know, would decide that they want to uh, do something actively. But in those cases, most of the family foundations were run by families and, uh, wow. A lot of the families were living off the, you know, live off the royalties or uh, not definitely not spending money in music education. Not at that time. Right. Right. So you guys got started, uh, if, I think, 1995. 1969. 1969. Sorry, the, the camp started in 1995. Right. Yeah. OK. And what year did you start working with them? I started working with, well, I started uh, providing services to them for, uh, in 2002 after uh, I stopped working at the Music and Entertainment Commission. But I uh, started working with and had developed a relationship with the Armstrong Foundation when the U.S. Postal Service decided to create a Louis Armstrong stamp. 
1994. Okay. And um, it was a collaboration with the city of New Orleans and the state. And at the time I was serving as director of the Music and Entertainment Commission. So I represented the city of New Orleans in that endeavor. And so Phoebe Jacobs and I, uh, you know, started working together uh, on that project. And uh, I decided to host a panel discussion uh, about Louis Armstrong. And then all of the members from the Armstrong Foundation, not all of them, but the uh, officers were coming in for the uh, stamp issuance. And I thought it was an excellent opportunity to, uh, to learn more about the uh, foundation. And for me, I'm not a musician, so I didn't really study Louis Armstrong. My um, relationship with Louis Armstrong was hearing his music performed. And uh, most of that was at maybe second line parades. Hmm. And um, I wasn't a scholar of the music, but I was a lover of the music. And so that was an excellent opportunity for me to learn about Louis Armstrong and to fall in love with him. Right. I just got one because I'm not I don't really know your background. Did you grow up in New Orleans? I did. I'm born and raised. You can tell by that accent. Tana. That's what I thought. <laughs> but Greg said maybe she's from the Bronx. I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> look, look, when, I, when I first moved to New York, uh, you know, uh, I would go to the supermarket and the people probably couldn't understand what in the world I was saying. And then they would ask me, uh, where are you from? Where are you from? You from Atlanta? Where are you from? I said, no, this is a New Orleans accent. That's how That's we, right. this is how we all sound here. <laughs> it's funny because in New Orleans, I mean, we there's so many different accents that are New Orleans accents. I mean, depending yeah. on what neighborhood you're from, or That's you know, true. That's true too. there's there's so much diversity in the way we all talk down here, which I guess is also representative in the way we play. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that thing. Ebonics is the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, making grocery. You know. Oh, I know. That's a beautiful. I love that so much. That's that's, that's, that's a southern thing. No, I'm from Mississippi, so we oh, say oh, make y'all groceries make groceries too. too. Oh, we make groceries. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe we could um, we could take this opportunity. So, how, how did you get into arts arts production and and creating? Uh, concerts and, and getting into the, the arts world. Well, this is a, a weird, a crazy story. So I had worked for the phone company and the an oil company and thought I was really going to lose my mind because I clearly wasn't, um, I guess, let's say I didn't fit that profile, but I did. I had worked there a long time. I had had enough and I always had a love for music. My mother uh, used to bring me to concerts. Actually, I was at the Ella Fitzgerald concert um, that uh, George Ween and them did for the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. And I had to have seen Louis Armstrong, but I just don't remember. I know I saw, saw, I saw Count Basie at, one, at those concerts. I saw Duke Ellington, you know, so I saw a lot of people, but after having spent some dreadful years in, the, in the, the working at the oil company, I had just had enough. And I decided that I wanted to really uh, work in the music industry. I had some friends who had a production company in Baton Rouge and I would go and work with them. They used to do R&B concerts, uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays, SOS, those kind of people. And so Daishiki was hosting a, um, a stagehand uh, workshop. My mother thought I had just lost my mind. So I, you know, I, I was married at the time, but I said, look, I'm going to take, I'm quitting this job and I'm going to take this stagehand workshop. Well, I had about as much aptitude for doing that kind of work as I can, you know, they were uh, building sets and, you know, using, uh, actually it was with Home Team, who is the, the company that really builds the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival site at the fairgrounds. So I was over there, uh, it, and they was more on the job training. Well, these people hadn't filed anything in about 100 years. And I knew <laughs> I wasn't doing so good, you know, with the, uh, with the stagehand stuff. 
And so I asked them, I says, when is the last time somebody filed here? And they says, well, I says, well, look, what I'll do is straighten out your office. So I did that. The festival was coming about. And so I submitted a, uh, sent my resume to the jazz festival, so that to Nancy Oshenslayer. Well, she looked at the resume. She says, well, all of the stagehand jobs are gone, but we have an admin position with home team with Tay. Would you would you take that? Well, at the time, most of the people that worked at the festival were roadies or friends of friends. And so this was my opportunity to learn more about the music and entertainment industry. And then what they got from me is my experience in business and in uh, administration and office management. So I took that, uh, that position was supposed to last for one month. And then uh, the rest of them were leaving to go work on another gig. They asked me to stay for uh, three months. I did that. And then the following year, there was a position open for, uh, uh, someone to be the assistant to the fair manager and say, I took that, which was a six month job. Then I can't remember the year, the festival decided to host their night concerts at the wharf uh, on the, at the river. So I transferred to night concerts. So this was my opportunity to have my own site. And uh, Charlie Baring, who was in charge of night concerts at the time, he and I uh, worked together um, and where I started really learning the music and entertainment business because what I did at the fairground was more um, fairgrounds was more uh, operational and management and facilitation and coordination. But when I went to night concerts, I started working with artists and doing dreaded contracts. Y'all know what those national contracts look like. And oh, but then I also was able to use my experience in site building. And so I did that. The second year, there was a night concert on the walk. A uh, tornado came and took the <laughs> and took the tent. Uh, I mean, took the tent down. And then we moved to um, an indoor venue that same, you know, that same uh, date. And um, it was, you know, at that time, the festival, the night concerts, we used to have concerts running simultaneously. You know, there would, it could be uh, uh, a concert at the municipal auditorium, could have been something at Riverboat Hallelujah. It could have been something at the uh, Sheridan Hotel. So, you know, it was a big job. And so I, that's where I learned the industry. That's such an old school story, you know? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't learn mines in the classroom. You know? Yeah, I like that. Every, I like that. Everybody at that time who was working, you know, in the industry, that's they learned it on the job. There was no uh, course that a person could take or, you know, uh, could, there was no major in anything like this. You had to learn it. And what makes you really valuable even now, whether you have a degree, or whether you're, uh, you know, you're learning things in school about this, it's your contacts and your acquaintances that, you know, that makes you really valuable and make gives you the the ability to be able to accomplish what you have to accomplish. And what I say to young people, the difference is if um, Jane calls the sound company and they want sound for a concert and the sound man uh, the owner doesn't know her it's going to cost her more to get you know for the service than when willie calls and the sound company knows willie right absolutely no. yeah see it's all about it's all about relationships it's what right? it's that's what it is it's relationships yeah. and you know and and it takes you know a little while because you don't really feel that you've uh become really good at it until you have those relationships. But of course, who you are working for has, you know, does have a lot to do with how people uh, receive you. Right. Absolutely. Now I want to get into the management end of, of, of the nonprofit industry. Um, just because my wife is always like, you're terrible at managing and you, you don't know how to talk to people. And so I, I want to learn something from you today. 
<laughs> and I hope she's watching this. But but how did you learn to deliver your message, you know, straightforward, but also in a way that doesn't make someone cry? Because Greg has cried a couple of times. OK, well, first off, <laughs> you just be yourself. You know, just uh, be yourself. Um, also, and just be honest about what you're trying to do. And number one, you you definitely have to know who you helping and how you intend to help people. You also have to uh, you have to do some research. Uh, uh, whatever you're trying to talk somebody into supporting, whether it's are uh, you trying to talk somebody into um, participating in what you're presenting, or if you're trying to get sponsors, or if you're trying to get somebody to do something for you pro bono, you, I mean, you just be honest about what you are trying to do, what you are trying to achieve, and you have to know clearly who you helping, who who needs what you are doing. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you. Yeah, that that actually that answer hit a bunch of targets <laughs> in one, you know, because as a young nonprofit, we are trying to make connections with people. We are trying to get pro bono work. We are trying to present our programs and get we don't have any real sponsors. Mm-hmm. We're trying well, we have some small ones, but you know, trying to grow it. Right. Well, let is, me say is that very difficult. People give people money. Mm. That is the bottom line. People give money to people. And of course, you and well, it just depends. Sometimes you can send in a great um, proposal or fill out a great grant. Number one, don't send no trashy half done grants. Make sure you've done your research, make sure your numbers are correct, and make sure you're making a case to get the money that you're trying to get. And as I mentioned before, you have to be able to explain and express need. That that's the that's the we're we're learning. We're only five years old. Yeah. So. Well you come look, this doesn't happen overnight. Let me tell you, you're gonna shed some tears. You're gonna have some hump stomach aches. You're gonna have highs and a bunch of lows. Yeah. You know, but uh, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And um, also, you have to get up every morning knowing in your heart and your spirit that this is what you were called to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, it's I, I do have a deep passion to just to, to give what was given to me. Yes. Yeah. And, and to try to break down some financial barriers. Like as a kid, I couldn't do a lot of stuff because it was no extra money. Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm trying to help some other kids in those same, you know, in the same situation. Right. And you know, you can you can't fool children. You know, they can look they can look straight. You know, they can look straight through you and tell if you're not sincere. And uh, that's one of the the great things. And I'm segueing into the. Uh, uh, the Armstrong Jazz Camp. Every one of the teachers there are really sincere. And these people wake up every morning with the express purpose and desire of teaching somebody else's children how to play jazz music. And that's the bottom line. You know, and they not only serve as instructors, they serve as mentors. They serve as brothers, whatever a child needs. First off, you got to meet them where they are and you have to provide them what they need. Speaking Aww, of meeting right. people where they are. <laughs> so that's a, a, your daughter? Yeah, this is my How daughter. Old is she? Name is Skyler. Three months, almost. Oh four. my God, she was just hatched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's fresh. Making her name is Skyler. Okay, yeah. Skyler. Yeah, she won't. Trying to get it to chill out. Yeah, no, that you know, the kids <laughs> they know when you want them to act right, they want. Oh, that's Terry, right. she's so cute. <laughs> she's cute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, maybe this is a great opportunity for us to to segue more into the Armstrong camp, and 
you know, I just have to say, I have to put this out in the universe and, and I feel I've done it so many times, but I, I feel like it's my calling to at every point when someone in any way asks me how I got, you know, came to this point of playing music as a profession or being a teacher, you know, I, I owe so much of this to, to my mom for always being an advocate of, uh, of the arts and, and really understanding how important, you know, arts education is. And then the other half goes to Miss Jackie Harris, to you and everyone over at the Armstrong camp. Because when I moved to New Orleans, that was such a, a pivotal experience and opportunity that that completely changed my life in 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 in, in every aspect of 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 the way that could be you know conceived and you know so Miss Jackie what 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 inspired um, the the beginning of the camp in uh, in 1995 and, and how did I mean you know you guys have been around for 25 years that's such an accomplishment I don't know how we did it I'm a tech but. So around 1994, 1995 is when the state of Louisiana, and I think across the nation, started taking arts education out of uh, curriculums for elementary, middle, and high school. And at the time, I was director of the Music Commission. And so uh, Mark, and I, who, uh, Mark Morial, who was the mayor at that time, we met. And we both expressed our uh, concern. And I, I was really afraid of how that was gonna affect New Orleans and New Orleans position as the birthplace of jazz. Because uh, people in New Orleans learn music in a more uh, mentored way, but the foundation always came from the school, you know, came from schools. And then it was also in the family. So there were two areas of respect, interest, and education for young people to learn the music. And so the, the school aspect was gone. And so those children who didn't have musicians in their families or in their neighborhoods would not have an opportunity. There was um, NOCA, which was uh, in New Orleans, but at the time NOCA was not a state-run school, and anybody who wanted to go to go to NOCA couldn't go. So there were a lot of children in uh, public education. Well, NOCA had public school kids and private school kids. But there were a lot of children either who couldn't go, didn't aspire to go, or didn't have the confidence that they could go. So we, and also we thought that there was a need for youngsters from all socioeconomic backgrounds should have an opportunity to come together to learn and experience music together. And um, we started off with um, 35 students and six teachers at Menard Nelson Elementary School. And I think the age was uh, 10 to maybe 15, 12, I think maybe 10 to 15 years old because we was wanted to serve middle and high school students. And we later expanded to 21. Well, what happened was, let me tell this is how we really expanded to 21 years old. Our students kept getting older. <laughs> like, you know, like Greg and Calvin and Courtney and all of them, they started getting older and older. So we were trying to, we wanted to, we wanted to keep them. And then we realized we wanted, I mean, that was the future of the of the camp in the future of jazz music education. So we wanted them to remain and to teach. And so, you know, that's how we went to 21 years old. And, and I just want to say, just for, for those of you listening, 
the the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp again, like has just such a special place in my heart. But even objectively, like I, there are not too many camps that have um, a faculty resume as incredible as the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp. When when I was there, again, I had the the privilege of studying with Kid Jordan, Alvin Fielder, uh, my mentor, Mr. Alvin Baptiste, Clyde Kerr Jr. Every year we brought in a different guest artist, cats like, um, we had like Wynton Marcellus, Donald Harrison, Clark Terry, Jimmy Heath, uh, Tootie Heath. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. And then, and then not even to like mention like the students who, who you all have, um, you know, taken some part in developing cats like Jonathan Baptiste, the trombone shorty to, to Christian Scott. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's really incredible. And, and I mean, I, I really credit you and, and Kid for developing an entire generation of New Orleans musicians. And, and I mean, it's I, I, all of my whole peer group, like we all came through the camp at some point. And, you know, Miss Jackie, you, you're responsible for that. So how, how does that make you feel knowing that? <laughs> it makes me feel really proud. I'm going to tell you, because as I mentioned, I'm not a teacher, right? So Kid and Clyde and all of them, they had been experiencing this through their lifetimes, because they had kids and they, uh, I mean, had students and the students would grow up and then they would do well and come back. But I, I, that, that wasn't in my life. And I didn't realize that it would happen. You know, I, it, for me, it was, you know, I gotta keep, I gotta keep these doors open because I have to uh, allow kids to have access to this music and they have to be able to have access to the best teachers in the city and not just, although I have nothing against kids, um, learn playing brass band music uh, on the street. And, you know, but I wanted all of those kids, those kids who were playing the music out in the square the kids who was playing the music at home, the kids who was uh, playing the music in classrooms. I wanted that melting pot and that gumbo together all in one place at one time. And that is what, I mean, you know, that is, if you look at the names of the people that Greg mentioned who came through the camp, they all from different walks, walks of life. Shamar Allen, uh, Big Sammy, I mean, just, you know, and what kid, what really is special about those teachers are, they are not trying to clone anyone. All they want to do is provide the information to allow them to do and to be whoever they want to be in the music. Now, yeah, we want to try to keep y'all in music, you know, but we know that uh, everybody that went to camp are not going to be musicians, but they certainly can uh, be an audience for the music. And we hope and pray that when they have children, that they will make sure that their kids are involved in some kind of arts education program. Yeah. I just want, I'm sorry, Darian, before you, you go on, I just want to say, you know, I, the, the camp, you know, musically was just an incredible experience, but I have to say that like coming through the camp and then also being a teacher and watching the next generation of students. I've never seen such a diverse group of people put together in the same room in, in my entire life, you know, like, like I moved to Hawaii that particular year and, you know, I'm like hanging with cats from the ninth ward. Like, like you were saying, people who were <laughs> playing in the streets, people from Metairie and like all, like all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And, and we were all united under the same roof with the same teacher and sitting in the same big band class, trying to read the, the 15 page chart that Mr. <laughs> Bat was like taping together. <laughs> And, and it's, and it's crazy being, you know, in my thirties now and just, just having such, um, such a rich group and a diverse group of friends uh, from every walk of life. And, and I, I really think that's just such a, a unique, um, environment and situation you all created. And I, I really, really appreciate how that informed and changed my life. Well, you know, we are proud of you. I bet you we're more proud of you because we see how 
you uh, you guys made the sacrifice because it's you guys know it's a sacrifice to be a musician. I mean, it's not. You have to be disciplined. You have to make sacrifices. And you guys were willing to make the sacrifice. You were willing to apply yourself. And you also became leaders. I'm, I'm going to give you this little example. Uh, this didn't happen to anybody in your class, but you know the person if I tell you who they were, but I won't. So somebody came to the office to me to say, oh, I lost my music. I can't, I can't find my music. I say, well, what you want me to do about that? That's your music. Why are you telling me? And he say, well, I can't practice. I say, so you mean to tell me you sitting on the you sitting in the trumpet section with about four or five other trumpet players and students, and you asking me for the music? You know, you. You better go back out there and ask one of your peers in your section to get, let you copy their music, to get their music. I mean, so that's the kind of things we wanted, we, you know, we wanted to teach along with how to play the instrument. At a certain time, if, if camp starts at nine o'clock, at <laughs> nine o two, the door is locked. To, oh yeah, uh, yeah. The Don't door mess with Miss Jackie, y'all. Nine oh one, you're going home. <laughs> like like Ken says, you can send your mom and Jesus. You're going home. <laughs> That's right. Look, nine oh two. Uh uh, you late. Go to the office. You know, you late. Wow. Go to the office. And. See, Greg, we, we got to learn from Miss Jackie, man. We we too yeah, soft, y'all man. soft, y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't gonna get, mm-hmm. y'all better get hard. Let me tell you, I would say stuff that was so stupid until I would have to go in the office and hide my face to laugh. I mean, <laughs> you know, it would be like, I don't believe I said that. <laughs> and, you know, and the kids would be all shaking, you know, they all scared. And but you know, but that's what it takes because we wanted to build leaders, and that's who they are. Every one of these people that Greg mentioned are leaders and are successful. And then you know, we have attorneys and uh, uh, educated all sorts of people in all walks of life, and they are doing really well. And that's what it's, you yeah. know, that's what it's all about. I like that. We want to build leaders. I'm about to yeah, steal okay, that. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> if, if we start making money with it, you're going to have to cut me off a piece of <laughs> I got your 10%. <laughs> <don't worry. laughs> so, I mean, you know, the one thing I think that you guys did that a lot of camps struggle with, or a lot of businesses in general struggle with, is building a culture that retains its, uh, its, in your case, students or customers. Like, was that a focus from the beginning? Like, all right, we got to build this certain culture so every year the kids want to come back. Because honestly, I've never heard a person who uh, who's attended that camp say anything bad about it. You know, from, yeah, from the time I moved to New Orleans, like every person I was like, yeah, I went to Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp and it was great. And I I study with Echo. I'm like, dang, really? I wish I grew up in New Orleans, you know? <laughs> well, I think what our mission was just to keep doing it, you know, to keep doing it and to allow any child who really wanted to come to give them the opportunity to come. And um, you know, that's what the longevity is all about, is uh, having a mission a shared mission that we all had, uh, all of the teachers, all of the, you know, the students didn't know, but there were a few years we all had to take a pay cut. There were years that the uh, we didn't get paid for two to three weeks after the camp was over. You know, it's not going to be easy. What you guys are doing not going to be easy, and you're going to have to make a sacrifice. But you, ha- as I told you, you have to be passionate, and it's like against all odds. Okay, you are um, 
you're gonna you're never gonna sacrifice or compromise your integrity. You're not gonna take short, you should never look at taking shortcuts, because that'll come back to bite you. But sometimes you you wouldn't take a shortcut, but maybe you might have to look at doing things a different way. That's a good point, especially now because in the midst of Corona, you know, you guys, all of us had to figure out a new way oh, to present yeah. the information, a new way to get. And now we're worried, like, how, what's going to happen in the summer? Can we connect with the students? Because we'd rather see them in person than to do something on screen. How, how are you guys kind of dealing we with We're preparing that? for another virtual camp because, yeah. uh, number one, the schools aren't, they, our schools are not going to be open. So if the schools are not open, uh, community or uh, community programs are not, you know, if parents didn't send their kids to school and didn't feel comfortable sending them to school, they are not going to feel comfortable sending them to another environment. Plus, we our program is takes place at Loyola. If things are open in the summer, they probably going to have like a full schedule of summer of you know summer programs, which they won't have the space to host us. So we are planning virtual. Now, this is what we virtual did do for us, is afforded us the opportunity to have students from all over the world. Right. You know, we had them from all, actually we had more national students than uh, locals. And wow. we had somebody wow. from England we had somebody from uh, British Columbia, and we would have had five students from uh, Mozambique, but uh, there was a, cur a COVID wow. curfew, and uh, you know there's a big time difference, and they weren't allowed right. uh, permission to travel, uh, you know, because of the uh, pandemic uh, and the curfew. Mm -hmm. But we hope to have them next year, and so we're uh, you know preparing for an international jazz camp. Mm, that's beautiful. See, that's what I'm talking about, Greg. We got to step it up. <laughs> well, you know, y'all, let me say this. You knew. So, look, as I told you, we started off with five students, I mean, with uh, 35 students and six teachers. We almost had more teachers than, than students. You know, six, six teachers and 36 students. But we... So the focus for this camp was always to learn how to play music and to learn how to perform music. And, you know, people ask me a lot of times, you have only that many students, but you have so large of a faculty or your budget is so large and you only have X amount of students. Well, the formula that we have, it works. It's proven, you know? And you can't have a performance with no bass player, with no trombone player. You know what I'm saying? So you just can't go get 30 kids and none of them are piano players or what. So we, and even if many times we have had one teacher or teacher and one student, but we did not teach that because there's a still a need for bass players, you know? And so uh, one year, two, and we would do research uh, when we selected artists in residence uh, for, I can't remember which years, two years in a row, we brought in a bass player. We brought, we had Reggie Workman and um, what's his name? Uh, Rufus Reed. So we had Rufus Reed one year and Re Reggie Workman the next year. And the reason why we did that, because we saw that kids were not studying the upright bass. And if we, you know, if we, so, you know, everybody was excited about Rufus Reed. Oh, Rufus Reed, yeah, we're coming. And then next year, they see Reggie Workman. Then the ones who were there the previous year would tell the other ones that, you know what I mean, and they would come. 
So it, it wasn't that we were just, we had a mold or an outline. Yes, we did. And we followed the outline. But as I mentioned, we were still doing research and we were looking at what was happening in the industry and in the community. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that so much because as a, as a young clarinetist, Everyone was telling me jazz clarinet didn't exist. You can't do this. And I, I just having Alvin Batiste in my life to show me that you can, and everyone else was, you know, full of shit. <clears throat> like, I, I don't, you know, had I not had that opportunity, I don't know if I'd still be playing clarinet. I would have started playing saxophone or something like right, that. Right. And so. you'd be out there with the million other saxophone players. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, well, if you're good, it doesn't matter. If you're good, you're going to get it get the gig but but you know just look how unique your you know you are of course you play a, you know all kind of reed instruments but still and look you can't let people fill your head with what they think you know everybody got an idea and opinion you know what they say about that you know and you got to follow your heart and your spirit and your passion yeah. So, so, uh, you know, at, at the camp, you had so many incredible teachers and it's so many, you know, just like characters, like you can create a book with <laughs> every, everyone is just, just such a, a memorable personality. And I was wondering if maybe, um, if, what did you learn from, from all the musicians, all, especially the teachers, like, was there something specifically that you learned from musicians working with them so closely that maybe you may not have uh, learned working with business people? Right. Well, number one, they're not individuals. They're a community of people. And if I, that, that's what I learned, that they are a community of people. And um, they all have stories. They have stories about each other. They have stories about other people. And they really, you know, because the genre and how it is uh, presented and how it presents itself, see, it's, it's, it's unity, but it's, but it's individuality too. So these people are individuals. They all in, they are unit, for instance, in the lunchroom. So, all right. So there's, I guess we had 14 instructors and an artist in residence, residence. So, so you had one section on one side, which was Jermaine and uh, Mickey they would be over on their side. Then there was, uh, then there's the side with uh, uh, Brian Kazare and jo Brian Kazare and Jonathan, they would always get together because they were the ones that was really kicking up stuff, okay? <laughs> then when Clyde was alive, then Clyde would have his, uh, his audience and that always included Jonathan and, and Brian, okay? Then Norma, when she would come in, she had her group, okay? And then so Kid, he would eat over on the side with, um, who, where, who would he be? Because Kent would be, he would be in his own sep separate section. Oh, yeah, but you and Kid would eat together, uh, Gregory, because you and Kid, but sometimes you would go, I mean, it was just, it was factions, okay? And so there was factions. And so there was the separate stories in the factions, but then there was the big story for everybody. And it just always ended in, it was laugh, laughter, you know? And I learned early, a full musician is a happy musician. <laughs> if you guys are ever hosting any kind of activity, do not skimp on the food because it makes for a bad night for everybody. Very important. <laughs> and if people can't afford to have catering and decent catering, well, they can't afford the event. Hmm. 
I like that. Yeah, I like that I like too. That. Yeah, if you can't afford to do it right, you can't afford to do it. <laughs> right. No, right. I'm telling you, because let right. me tell you, when they when people don't want to spend money and they want you to do it, when folks walk away from there, your reputation is bad, not theirs. Because they looking at you, the musicians coming in, and the sound people, and that's the people you engaged. And if things not going right, if the money is 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 slow, if the services is bad, they blame you. And either when you call them again, they're gonna tell you no, or it'll cost you more than it did the last time. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's funny you're talking about that's the right. lunchroom because I, I, you know. <laughs> Some of my favorite moments happened in that lunchroom. At I lunch. know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was this once. I'll never forget this. I, it was it was the year um, Nicholas Payton was over at the camp, but this, Mr. Kerr, it, it, like you said, with the, there was the bigger conversation happening. All of a sudden, Mr. Kerr like calls all the way across the room to Kid, and he's like, "Kid, remember when we played? Remember when we played North Sea Jazz Festival?" And Kid responded, "He goes, was that when we were still playing heads, or we we're just playing free?" <laughs> 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 oh, it was so funny. And then like the whole the whole room just like erupts in laughter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just it was special. It was really special. Miss Jackie, we 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 getting close to time, but I, I do want to ask you one more yeah. question while we still got you. I'm I'm just curious about some of your successes and, and some of your failures. Like what would you say was your biggest success and also equal and equal failure and how you dealt well, with it. Well, my biggest success was um, the jazz camp. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I, I think of all the things that I've done in my lifetime. I think the most significant thing that I did was creating the jazz camp and working with the people that, uh, that, you know, that I work with. I guess my, I'm trying to think what is the failure because let me say this, I'm not so arrogant to think that I didn't have failures. I am so humble to know that God has blessed me to have had the opportunity to have successes. You know, I've, um, I've never been in a situation that it couldn't be pulled together. But the only reason why it was pulled together, it was because of the people that I was working with. And, you know, that is what's going to um, ensure your success is having the right people with you and for you. And at that same time, you have to treat them right. Because, you know, we've been in, I've like produced concerts and the promoter, this is like R&B and reggae work, the promoter didn't have the money to pay the people. You know, that was like early on. I know y'all heard some old stories about that stuff. Well, let me tell you, it's true. If anybody tell you that, they not just making it up, they would. And, uh, you know, we, and the staff, we would be in it together and we would just, you know, get through it, you know. And, um, you know, the only thing I could say to them is I'm going to try my best to get this money from for you. And in a lot, in some cases, they were paid and I wasn't. But, you know, the bottom line is this. They were following me. And I asked them, you know, and I engaged them. And if anybody was to take a loss, I was the one to take the loss and not them. And, you know, that's it. But can I share something with y'all? Please. Please. So, you know, most of my career has been in uh, music production, you know, uh, live music performance and in uh, program development. Well, in 
2019 and 2020, I had the opportunity to produce my first ever and probably last recording. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I feel at this point, I've probably done everything that I'm going to do in my lifetime as it relates to production, because I never, I never thought I would produce a record. But I did. And it's a tribute to uh, Louis Armstrong. And the recording, the name of it is A Gift to Pops. It will be released in um, late next year. Uh, it, the people on it, now check this out. Nicholas Payton is a produce, the producer. Wycliffe Garden. Roderick Paulin. Perlin Riley, Courtney Bryan, Javel Crawford, piano, yeah, piano, bass, drums. Oh, uh, Reginald Veal. Now, this is the real Winton is a special guest on it, and so is Common. So, you know, I'm I'm so excited. You know, I'm really excited about it. And uh I hope that people like it and it's received well. Have you finished the record? Is it is it done? Or? Finally. <laughs> Finally. It's in the can. Awesome. Um, I'm just waiting for the last line of notes. Uh, George Ween wrote an overview of the album and Jonathan Batiste is doing the line of notes. So the folks are writing awesome. in the comments and they want to know where they can pre-order this record because you ain't got no it's slouches on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, it's it'll be out probably uh, uh, early fall or late summer next okay. year. And again, if you listen wow. to this later on the podcast, it's called A Gift to Pops. And so That's write that down, called. Google it in a couple months and you'll be able to pick that up everywhere. Yeah, don't Google it yet, but <laughs> it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's hip too. You That's know, gonna be an amazing, know. amazing, I, amazing record. Yeah, it is. So, okay. Yeah, so listen, Miss Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the Work is Working Artist Project. And uh, my name is Darian Douglas. And uh, my name is Gregory Ajit. I just want to say again, Miss Jackie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your guidance. And, and most of all, you, you know, thank you so much for <clears throat> your greatest lesson is always, I think, having the opportunity to watch you work has been one of the greatest blessings. And to 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 watch you, you know, in all, all the things that you said today make so much sense to me because I watched you embody that throughout my life. And I, I have to say that's like been one of the, the greatest lessons to watch someone of integrity and be able to. To, to be a child and and be mentored by people like yourself and and just such a blessing and, and thank you so much for for everything you've done for me and um yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing well, sharing all this yeah. with us it was my pleasure and my blessing to do this with you guys so uh stay safe stay inside and um i guess we'll see each other when everybody can come out <laughs> absolutely huh? definitely all right bye-bye guys and thank you for thank having you. me later y'all thank bye. you miss jackie